It's a great reminder of how we are molded and shaped into the likeness of Christ. If you have a Bible, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 is where we're going to be this morning, or you version if you're using a, a phone or, or a tablet. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Good morning to those who are joining us online. Um, I have a quick announcement before we get started this morning. Bethel Church Kindred Campus will be launching on Easter Sunday morning. So if you live in or around Kindred or just have an interest in finding out more about this, this effort, there will be a meeting right after this service in the FLC we're all kind of give an overview, and then our launch team's gonna be there, and they'll be able to answer some, some questions. But I am I'm super excited about this extension uh, of the church. Micah 6.8 says this, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And I think that that is a, is a great verse to start with, considering where Philippians chapter 2 will lead us. But I want to start with the why, because it's always important to start with the why. So here it is. Why? Because we are in Christ. So Paul begins to, to answer that question. We are in Christ, and that's why he's going to say what he does. Uh, and that's the first two verses. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. So it's always good to start with the why question because to answer the why question brings clarity and it, and it gives motivation to be able to deal with the what and the how. To live this life with an eternal focus, and that's kind of where we're at with the series that we're in, eternally focused life, but to live this life with an eternal focus we have to appreciate this phrase, get the me out of me. And Paul begins by saying, if you can identify with any of these traits, be like-minded so others can do the same. So if we put those, those traits into questions, it might sound something like this. Are you encouraged knowing that you are in Christ? Have you ever been comforted by his love? Have you ever received the tenderness and the compassion of another or expressed it to others? If you have, then do me a favor. This is Paul. Love each other and celebrate what you have in common and get on the same page. So, so because of our, our common experience in Christ and our common fellowship, we ought to be like-minded. Now that sounds really restrictive at first, not to, not to say that we can't think for ourselves or that, that we are always in complete agreement with each other all of the time. Um, if we can't think for ourselves, then that becomes a little bit cultish. It's less about our thinking being perfectly aligned and more about having the mind of Christ. And as each believer pursues the mind of Christ, or uh, can also be translated the attitude of Christ, so as each of us pursue the attitude of Christ, our differences that we spend so much time sometimes focus on will be minimized. And the mind and the attitude of Christ is safety, it's security, if we're all pursuing that together. And when we share in those things, we will find ourselves closer together than we are further apart. Uh, you can apply everything that I'm saying to any context of life, whether, whether it's marriage or work relationships or here at the church. 
Paul knew the importance of having a unified church. He knew that a church that pursued the attitude of Christ would become naturally unified and would develop enough strength to resist the evil one's influence and the evil one's attacks. Because a unified church is able to withstand the enemy much more than a fragmented church. Again, apply this in different areas of your life. So the why is, why is Paul about to say what he's gonna say? Because we are pursuing the mind and the attitude of Christ. That's why. And the rest of what we'll look at will make way more sense when we understand the why. So what about the what? So what is, what is it that he wants to say? And I'll just, I'll just simplify it. So, so in the point, it's put others first. But uh, we could also say it like this. Stop being so selfish. Stop being so self-centered. That sounds really simple, doesn't it? Verse 3 and 4, he goes on and he begins to talk about this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So this is the what. A few weeks ago, I I preached a message asking the question, are you more interested in the attention of man or of God? And last week, I I, uh, talked about the illusion of control that seems to have such an effect and such a tremendous impact on so many of us, thinking that we are in control of this life. But one of the most powerful and profound statements that Paul makes in all of his writing is in Philippians 1.21. You don't need to turn there, but just listen to this because he sets the whole thing up. And he says this, and he's pointing to himself. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And in that one statement, he sums up his why. When we arrange our life in such a way to be satisfied outside of Christ, and we do that, don't we? We arrange our life. We manipulate our life. We make decisions in our life so that we can have satisfaction. And oftentimes when we hit the pause button and we step back, we realize that we're actually doing it outside of Christ. We're just doing it on our own, with our own energy and our own interests. When we arrange our life in such a way to be satisfied outside of Christ, then we have to finish the the sentence like this. To live is me. And Paul's not saying that. Paul's saying to live is Christ. Only when we believe and act as though Jesus is our only hope for a satisfied life, only then can we, can we look at Jesus and say, all my satisfaction in this, in this life, all my fulfillment in this life, all my happiness in this life is because of you, Jesus. When we live with that mindset, then we can say, as Paul did, to live as Christ. Any other attempt to find satisfaction will fall short. And we will find ourselves again standing in our own puddle of blood, sweat, and tears. And I've stood in that puddle many times, trying so hard. I've stood in that puddle of blood, sweat, and tears. All of our actions and thoughts need to be guarded against selfish ambition and conceit. And and the two ideas that that we are to guard against um, are the words strife, and vainglory. That's another way to say it, which are two meanings behind the phrase selfish ambition and vain conceit. Strife and vainglory. 
Paul challenges us to guard against selfish ambition. It's the picture of a person, uh, imagine this, it's the picture of a crowd and, and a person kind of jockeying for, for position. It's describing a person who's trying to make himself look, look more powerful or important or insightful uh, or significant in the sight of other people. He also says, guard yourself against vain conceit. In other words, avoid self-glory or boasting or self-promotion. Run from those things. So it could read like this. Do not jockey for position or try to prove your importance to others. Or even more simply, as we better understand, are you being selfish? Are you self-focused in this life? We have this incredible knack, probably all of us, to make everything about us. We have learned to manipulate and control and deceive and push ahead to do whatever it takes to get what we want. I remember uh, preaching on selfishness years ago at my last church and a guy walked up to me afterwards and I, I knew him fairly well and he says, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm just realizing how stinking selfish I am. And he said, my wife actually told me that I'm selfish and just, he's just doing all this reflection, like why do I only think of myself? I'm so selfish. And I said, brother, you're not alone. This is a challenge for all of us. Often it doesn't matter the hurdles or the obstacles or people who are in the way. Some are even willing to, to burn bridges or ruin relationships or, or pay whatever cost as long as you can get what you want. And that's the complete opposite of what Paul is saying here. It's the opposite of the attitude of Christ. We can turn a conversation to make it about us. We're, good, we're so good that we can make a difficult situation about us. We can make a situation that's about another person. So the attention is turned towards us. If the world was being interviewed, it would say selfish and ambition always go together. And we know from Scripture that that isn't true. Ambition is not wrong, of course. It's when our ambition comes out of our selfishness that becomes a problem. It's not the ambition that is the problem, it's the source and the target of our ambition. But what if our ambition was to be able to say, to live is Christ and mean it? So getting ahead, while it might be important for us, or getting recognition might be important for us, getting ahead and, and getting recognition was never a part of the deal for Jesus. He was never concerned with people thinking highly of him or that people would consider him uh, uh, to be talented or great. He was more concerned with serving the mission that he was called to serve. Can you imagine going through life and this, this model that Jesus has set before us, but going through this life and never having any of those concerns uh, th those concerns to feel like, oh, I need to be important or I need to have power or I need to be whatever it is, and we try to get the attention. Can you imagine life like that? In many ways, selfishness says this. Christ is not enough. The second half of verse 3 and 4 
it starts with this, rather, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. So instead, do this. In humility, value others above yourselves. So only a satisfied person and a fulfilled person can in humility consider people other better than themselves. While selfish ambition and vain conceit are a matter of the self-will, that's where it comes from, the self-drive, humility is just the opposite. It's a measure of self-abandonment. Get the me out of me. The word humility means to think lowly, to think in an unpretentious way about self, or to think modestly of oneself. Humility is not an issue of importance or value. It's an issue of perspective and attitude. So how do we best understand humility, this this model that Jesus set before us? Humility cannot coexist with self-focus. Humility cannot exist with self-focus. It's an attitude that is not understood when we come to grips with ourself. It's understood when we come to grips with God. And as we look at God, we begin to get a better and healthier picture of who we are. Sinners, desperate need of God's grace and forgiveness. That's who we are. Pride is this inner drive to become king. Humility is an inner change to serve the kingdom. Pride is what keeps us from seeing the value in others. Pride insists that me is still in me. There are some indicators that point to the fact that me is still in me. Maybe you can relate to some of these. So how do we know when we're being selfish? How do we know when me is still in me? We focus on the failures of others. We fault find. We have critical spirit. We look down on others. We have to have our way. We have to prove that we're right. We have a demanding spirit, or we want to be served, or we like to be recognized. We're self-protective of our time and our rights. Or we're looking for this self-promotion or advancement, or we have an attitude, I can do it better. Or we have confidence in our knowledge, or we're quick to blame, we're unapproachable, maybe defensive, and maybe we have a difficulty saying, I was wrong. Those are all indicators of pride. And those are all indicators that the me is still in me. So it says, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. It goes on to verse 4. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So verse 4, the word look here means to regard as your aim. We should not be so consumed with, our, with ourselves, our time and our talents and our accomplishments and our gifts that we have no time to look at other people. We're to look at the interests of others, able to point out the good in others, able to rejoice in their accomplishments. I challenge every couple that I marry, sitting right here on this platform, I say that exact thing. Take the time to see the good in the person that you're marrying and point it out and remind them. We have learned this morning that our two biggest hurdles keeping us from, from doing these two things are jockeying for a position or a place in life, and our resistance to take on this humble attitude of Christ. Here's what it looks like practically. I'm just going to go through several things, so maybe you can resonate with one 
or two. Here's what it looks like practically. It is to accept that others have opinions and their opinion is just as valuable as yours. It's to see people as God's creation and not as your interpretation. It's to not take a person's physical appearance and behavior to reflect who they are too quickly. It's to give everyone a chance. It's to allow grace and love to be your motivator and not judgment and criticism. It's to treat people with value and worth regardless of their position. It's to let go of a person's past and not hold it against them. It's to love even when you don't feel like loving. It's to forgive when it doesn't make sense. It's to give opportunities for people to shine. It's to set people up to win and not to fail. It's to not look down on others. It's to not have to always have your way. It's to sacrifice your time and resources for the good of others. It's to serve and not always be served. It's to give to others and receive from others. It's to say, how can I help you? Our sin nature says me. Our flesh says me. Our culture says me. In many ways, we're taught to get the me in me at a very young age. During the first 12 months, um, I, I had a mom kind of uh, wrestling with us after the first service. So um, and it's probably true. It probably starts a little bit earlier, but just see, um, maybe this will be helpful. During the first 12 months of a child's life, while it may feel very selfish, the only ask for what they need in those first months. Around the age two, there's a pivot that takes place. A child learns what it means to want. Besides the word no, a child's favorite word becomes mine. When kids grow up, they pay more attention to themselves. Experts usually call this development phase as the imaginary audience. And when kids believe that everyone's attention should be on them, self-focus at that age is really normal. Self-focus naturally becomes a part of our makeup and our tendencies from a young age. And the only way to break that curse in us is to be a new creation in Christ. And that is exactly what we are as believers. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 reassures us, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you are in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. It was a beautiful Sunday afternoon, and four people decided to go for uh, an airplane ride. There was a doctor, there was a rocket scientist, there was a pastor, and there was a young kid. And they went up, and they're on this beautiful, uh, this beautiful airplane ride. And all of a sudden, the airplane started having problems. And the pilot comes out and says, we need to jump because uh, we're going to crash. So everyone grab a parachute and jump. And so he grabs his parachute, the pilot, and he goes first. But there's only three more parachutes. And the doctor says, I, my job is to help people. Man, I save lives. I'm, you know, so I think I should jump. So he gets a parachute and he jumps. And the, and the rocket scientist says, well, everybody says that I'm the smartest person in the world, right? So I need, I need to be there. So I grabbed a parachute and he jumped. There's one parachute left and the pastor takes it and he says, you know, and he hands it to the little boy. And he says, I've lived my life. I've done everything I want to do. You're, you're young and, and God wants to use you and he's got a plan for you. And, and just then the little boy hands it back to the pastor. And he says, pastor, we're going to be okay. 
the rocket scientist grabbed my backpack. <laughs> Selfishness never pays off. The why is because we are pursuing the mind and the attitude of Christ. The what is considering others before self. In other words, don't be so selfish. But how? By having the mindset of Jesus. Verse 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's the deal, guys. God is most glorified when I am not. Jesus is our perfect example. He modeled for us how to be unselfish. He modeled for us how to put other people first. Equality with God was something that Jesus did not consider able to be grasped. In other words, Christ did not grasp onto his equality with God, but rather he took it and he set it aside for a time in order that he could become a man. When Christ was born, we cannot get our minds around this, but God made, God made his dwelling among the people and Jesus was 100% man and he was 100% God all at the same time. So in response to his Father's will, he gave up some of his rights and set aside some of his glory. Because of his humanity, he was limited to only being in one place at one time. He has always existed with God from the beginning. He is equal to God because he is God. He gave up glory to gain for you. He gave up glory to gain for you glory with him. He emptied himself, he became nothing. He was no different physically from anyone else. Listen to Isaiah 53 two. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. If Jesus lived today and, and you were out and about, and you saw Jesus, there, there would be nothing in him that you would gravitate towards him or, or that you would want to rub shoulders with him or you'd want to get to know him. There was nothing in him, the scripture says, that someone should desire him. To empty himself meant that he had to set aside all of his own self-interest in order to do the will of the Father. And when he took the, na the, the nature of a servant, he set aside his ability to display himself as the God of all splendor, majesty, and glory. Without the willing humility of Christ, we would all perish. He humbled himself and became obedient even to death on the cross. And that humility, friends, resulted in exaltation. He received the name above all names, Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess. 
The why is the attitude of Christ. The what is the interest of others ahead of our own. And the how is humility. Let me leave you with this, this uh, to go. One thing. It's this idea to make an effort this week to be aware and conscious of this, to stop jockeying for position or for people's attention, however you want to interpret that, and put your attention on others and help them get ahead. Father, thank you for your word and thank you, um, Lord, as we consider this eternally focused life, trying to get our attention off of this life, we have to deal with things like selfishness. And selfishness often is what keeps our attention here and on self and outside of you. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts and remind us of the why, and that's the attitude, your attitude, that's why. And that we would learn to maybe just take the attention off ourselves and put it on others. To consider them. And Lord, show us areas in our life where there's pride. Point it out to us and help us to pursue humility. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace and your patience and for not giving up on us and for loving us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.